Welcome to Careers Unwrapped, where we delve into real-life career stories from successful people who've been through it all, the ups and the downs. We'll get their raw, honest, actionable advice and be the careers talk they wish they'd had when they started out. As someone who has had a varied career, from soldier to salesman, expedition leader to entrepreneur, he knows firsthand that your career doesn't always lead you where you expect it to. Here's your host, Mark Fawcett. Okay, so hello and welcome to Careers Unwrapped. Joining me today is Bushan Seti. Bushan is a partner at Stratiand, which is PwC's strategy consulting business. And he's also got well over 20 years of experience in business consulting. He's also actually an adjunct professor at New York University's Stern School of Business. So we might go into that. He is a speaker, he's a thought leader on important topics, including globalization, leadership and trust, and the future of work. And he's worked across several continents as well. And he's actually recently ranked in the top 100 on the 2023 power list of the biggest voices in leadership. Bishan, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Delighted to be here. And I think let's start with, because a lot of people have heard the term business consultant, but would be interested to know, what does that mean you actually do day by day? And when you do it well, what improves in the world? Yeah. So in essence, I'm a problem solver. And so the problems can take on many forms. How do you organize work? How do you implement technology to drive the biggest benefits? How do you integrate two companies that are going through a merger? Um, how do you make companies better skilled and more agile for the future so that they can deliver increased profits and revenue? So in essence, it's solving a business problem. The nature of that problem is different. Been doing this for the best part of 25 years. And when you do this well, um, you really see the results for your clients. You see your clients actually improve their business. You see them give their people a better development experience. You see them deliver on not just the financial returns, but the other outcomes, whether it be customer, regulatory, or people. And could you perhaps illustrate that? I know you probably can't name real people and companies, but illustrate it with a recent challenge, what you did, and then what the result was for the people working in that business. So I do a lot of work with financial institutions, I think big banks, and there's a lot of regulatory scrutiny on some of those big banks, both in the US and around the world, you know, helping a large bank redesign its talent processes so that they can actually show with much more transparency to a regulator what their processes are for developing their people, how they think about succession planning and where people develop, what processes they need to change, where they need to kind of focus more on skills gaps, where they need to give a better learning experience. So the stakes were very high for this institution because they had to demonstrate this to a regulator. This bank had had systemic issues for a number of years. And so working with them, you know, a period of a year, helping them design this process, having them take ownership of it, and ultimately kind of see the benefits, you know, that's one outcome. The lessons learned in this business is, You've got to really get together with your clients, help them solve the problems. But ultimately, we go away and they own the business outcomes of their results, whether it's a process change, a redeployment of technology, building some skills, or meeting some regulatory commitments. And so you don't work in that bank and you go in and help people whose day job it is to do that. What skills are you bringing in that they don't have anyway? Really good question. So at the start of my career, I used to ask the same, I'm like, what could I possibly tell an institution or people that are 20 years older than me on how to improve their business process or how to, you know, implement technology in a better way or train up their people? Some of the skills are just good problem solving skills in terms of 
Can you understand what's wrong with the process? Can you understand what the root cause issues are? Do people's roles and responsibilities need to be clearer? Do people information flows need to be different? Do people need to use technology in a different way? So thinking about the skills of how you diagnose a problem in the same way that we try and diagnose problems in our personal life and thinking about what's the issue versus the root cause. And then how do you actually come up with a solution? That's one of the skills. And obviously there's a whole bunch of skills that are adjacent to that, such as listening, communication, empathy, having a lot of humility for your clients, because as you said, they've been doing that work for maybe 20 years. They know the process in the industry far better than you and really understanding kind of the skills that you have, but really listening to your clients and working with them to say, how can we actually help you improve your business by coming up with sets of recommendations that you'll ultimately implement and own yourself. And in order to do your job really well, how much of it is a mixture of the more personal skills you've just described, empathy, for example, and how much of it a mixture of technical skills, maybe qualifications you've had to gain, exams you've had to pass to bring together to be able to do it well? I'd say the majority of it is the human skills. And one of those human skills starts with being a lifelong learner. So obviously the business problems we're solving today, when you think about how do I use AI to change my jobs? How do I think about preventing cybersecurity issues in a business? Like the issues have slightly changed from when I started work 25, 30 years ago, but the essence of those skills about learning, understanding a problem understanding a business model, understanding how a business makes money, understanding an industry set of dynamics, understanding the process or the technology and the culture of the place. They are lifelong learning skills that you kind of need to understand and need to be curious and ask good questions and learn. And the rest of it is listening, working with clients, showing some empathy, showing some resilience when you come up with some recommendations that don't actually meet the requirements of the client actually showing some resilience to say, how can we actually improve? And so a lot of it, I would say, is the human skills, starting with the ability to be curious and learn. And so you mentioned that finance client. Is most of the work that you do in and around the finance sector, or do you work with clients from very different sectors? The majority is uh, in financial services. I do some work in healthcare. I've done some work in the tech sector. Earlier in my career, I did a lot more work with pharmaceutical clients, but Think of big, complex global companies that have iconic brands and deliver lots of products and services, but in big global companies, there's complexity. There's complexity in how the work gets done, how people feel, how processes are institutionalized, how technology investments are maybe not optimized. So there's always opportunities in some of these global complex firms for them to be curious to say, how do we actually innovate and do better? So as well as doing the business consultancy day job at the moment. You're also an adjunct professor at University Stern School of Business. Can you explain what that involves, what the benefit is to you, but also what you're bringing to those who are studying there? Absolutely. So back to the lifelong learning, I've always enjoyed building teams. I've always had the privilege of being around great mentors and leaders who have taught me kind of on the job. I try and give that back in the various roles I've had in my consulting career. A couple of years ago, there was an opportunity to teach an MBA class on what I do for work, strategy consulting, how to diagnose problems, how to storyboard, how to come up with problem statements, how to come up with recommendations. And so I spend five months of the year, three hours a week. So it's a very small time commitment teaching 
MBA first year students. It's a mix of theory, and I do it with a couple of other professors who are in other consulting firms. It's a mix of theory, and then there's case studies that the students get where they're actually working with real companies, solving real problems, and we give them advice through the course of 12 to 15 weeks. It's hugely beneficial because you're around people that, you know, that they are different to you. They're different age, different, you know, parts of the world. They're not working in your company and they're not working at your clients. There's that different dynamic as well. And I just love being inspired around, you know, hearing all the different kind of problem cases that are there, but just hearing how people are thinking on campus these days. And I'm pretty bullish on the future. Everyone, especially my generation, complains about Generation Z and the sense of entitlement and quiet quitting and people don't want to work hard, but there's a curiosity in us and a set of compassion and I would say global citizenship that I see from younger people, whether they're on campus or in my companies and clients that I'm really inspired by. And so I'm pretty bullish and hopeful for the future when I see and get to, get to work with young people. So sitting here talking to you now with a, a New York backdrop behind you, that's clearly not where it all started. So in terms of unwrapping your career, perhaps take us back to later teenage years or student years, early twenties. Is what you're doing now, what you thought you would be doing then? Absolutely not. I mean, I've been fortunate beyond my wildest dreams for, you know, humble beginnings, first generation immigrant, parents were from India, grew up in North London, you know, pretty middle-class background. Parents really valued education, um, like many immigrant families, they kind of pushed us there and that kind of drives a curiosity in the, the lifelong learning. And it wasn't just school education, it was education about how the world works. You know, we would go to India every year, it'd be education about politics and geopolitics, which you can't escape these days. And so my career started, I, um, I studied accounting and economics and then kind of studied the professional accounting exams. And I used that as an opportunity to get into management consulting at the time. It was the late nineties when everybody was looking at business process re-engineering. And by the way, everyone still needs to look at business process re-engineering because it's not just about putting in technology, it's actually fundamentally redesigning work so you can actually drive better outcomes. So they're really good skills. But no, I started in finance functions and finance process re-engineering and then moved my way into different aspects of people and organization consulting. And now I'm in, in a strategy practice. And so I just think that the combination of understanding finance, understanding data, understanding business processes, and then the people and the organization aspects is a really good skill that kind of allows you to look at business problems from many different dimensions. And I think that the world needs more mindsets where people can actually look at problems through multiple lenses, not just the technology lens, not just a regulatory or legal compliance lens, and not just, you know, a consumer lens. You need to look at all aspects today. There's no single problem out there in business that is one dimensional. And so bringing either the experts who play in the area or knowing a little bit about all those areas and trying to work with clients and colleagues is really what inspires me. But no, absolutely. I did not think I'd be training for this. I didn't think I'd be a partner living in New York and having run global practices and teaching at a place like Stern. So yeah, very privileged. No career journey is smooth, at least none that I ever come across. There are turns and twists and unexpected events along the way. From your own perspective, going back to those early years, just after you finished studying, 
what are the decisions you made that perhaps weren't the best ones? Or what are the mistakes along the way that you would perhaps advise your younger self to avoid now? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, mean, I took work in my early 20s incredibly seriously. I'm not going to say that people shouldn't take it seriously, but maybe I was a little bit over the top in terms of I didn't invest as much in things like well-being, mental health, physical health, etc. I would literally, for what I didn't know, I would just make up by working the hours, asking the questions. It wasn't a case of, you know, asking ChatGPT. It was a case of encyclopedias and references and, you know, thesaurus and dictionaries and asking and calling up people and building your relationships and asking questions. So there's a piece about not taking it so seriously. I probably didn't ask for as much help in my early years as I do now from people when I'm struggling. I tried to kind of, and there's probably country of origin and probably some of my background that I tried to kind of solve problems, you know, by myself. I probably took it quite seriously. And then I remember in my first times when I was in leadership roles and like formal leadership roles, I probably pushed too many people too hard in terms of trying to push performance and didn't care about those very things that I didn't really prioritize in my early twenties around kind of physical and mental well-being. So I think that that becomes full circle. Um, the good news now, Mark, is the world is so ready to talk about those things. And you can't be a successful business person without thinking about your mental health, your physical health. Like you and I talked this morning that, you know, I had to go for a run this morning because it's really important for me to start my day with a run. Things like that I didn't even think of in my early 20s. But do you think if you hadn't pushed yourself clearly very hard in those early years, you would have achieved what you have by now? A lot of this is about opportunities and having the opportunities at the time, a bit of luck. A great bit of mentorship, like I've had some really good bosses in my early life and kind of pushed me and also gave me some really tough feedback. Feedback that you probably couldn't give in today's environment because it would not be politically correct and it was probably harsh, but at the time it was the way I learned. So I do think that as people are listening to this, you know, look at the opportunities you have, whether it's, you know, talking to mentors, talking to people inside companies, talking to people inside schools that you can kind of you know, gravitate to. But try and say, how can I actually start saying yes to opportunities? If someone says, do you want to work on a task force looking at artificial intelligence? Absolutely, yes. If you want to let, you know, understand things more about trade flows or geopolitical risks between, you know, Europe and China or the US and China, raise your hand and say yes. Anything that you can do to kind of further your skills and be around information that you wouldn't necessarily have access to or people you wouldn't have access to, you know, I kind of really raise a hand. So. That's what I also did. I kind of said yes to so many things, which kind of got me into different aspects of business. But it's also reasons why I, you know, spent time at places like the G20 writing policy briefs, which I never thought I would, or the World Economic Forum, because I just have a thirst and interest around kind of global issues and not just like solving from a business lens, but also trying to influence policymakers on some of those very same issues. And how do you think? Now you can get the balance or one can get the balance right between starting out the way you did, where, as you say, you pushed yourself hard and you were pushed hard and perhaps someone starting now in an environment which is perhaps more aware, more nurturing about a balance between mental health, physical health and career success. Where's it right if you want to personally achieve and are ambitious? So there's a couple of ways to think about this. One is at different life stages you may choose to push yourself harder. So maybe in your early twenties, if it's about how do I learn and be relevant, 
you can push yourself harder and you can set less boundaries. And it's all about saying yes, because I really want to establish myself in something. And then that could be some advice that people take. But if people are starting to form families and need to spend more time or have to kind of, you know, spend more time taking care of dependent, you know, older relatives, it might be different in terms of you've got to be really clear on what you need and where you can set boundaries. Everyone talks about, you know, in the office or out of the office. We've got to also understand different personality types. Not everyone is comfortable being an extrovert and going out working 12 hours, then going for drinks and going for dinner. Like, you know, many people grow up in, you know, in Wall Street and the city of London. And so, so just being really clear on kind of what it is that you need, but be conscious that there's going to be times in your life where you could push yourself harder. And there are going to be times when you actually have to set boundaries and whether, you know, obviously if you're female, you know, having a kid and then, you know, having to kind of then go on maternity leave, that that's a different thing as well. So I think that there's no one set rule, but, you know, setting boundaries and being clear that you're consciously making a decision to speed up on the treadmill or slow down or take an incline, et cetera. I think these are um, probably some good recipes. So you push yourself quite hard. Most people would say you've had a very successful career to date, but what barriers did you face that you had to overcome and deal with on the way, especially perhaps in your early twenties? Yeah. The first barrier is I didn't go to a private school. I, my parents were immigrants. We didn't really understand all of the airs and graces and trappings that you need in business from exactly what to wear, to how to speak, to how to write the fluent business English. But I got some really good feedback um, in my early twenties on that. You know, I observed, I was comfortable and made some changes. So people see me do a lot of public speaking around the world on stages, virtually and in person. I was an awful public speaker. I remember the first time I got recorded when I was 21, I hated the way it sounded. It was so monotoned and I really worked on that and I got some really good feedback. So even something that you may naturally have been encouraged to do, or you don't think is a natural skill, you can work on some of these things and you can really practice. And so there were some barriers there. And then as you get more into the world of work, you realize, or I did as well, it, well, it is more of a meritocracy. You get judged not on your academics or your country of origin or your school that you went to. It's more about what you can do in the job. And yes, not in every company and not in every team, but my advice is you've got to go find those teams that make you feel a sense of belonging and make you feel that you can be vulnerable and learn and that it's a safe space to ask questions. And if you've got leaders who are not demonstrating that, try and be the leader that you want to be. Give those leaders feedback in a, you know, transparent, respectful way. Talk to your colleagues if they're kind of you know, struggling around something as well. So yes, there were barriers. There'll continue to be barriers for lots of people, but the more that we can try and push those and ask questions and give feedback and kind of share how we're feeling. I think that's also super important. You mentioned first of all amongst their barriers related to your background and your family and your social capital and awareness. How much do you think those barriers still apply now? What are the companies that you advise and have worked for doing to make those less of a barrier for young people starting out now? So this goes back to childhood. I think all of these lived experiences go back to childhood. So I grew up in 1970s, 1980s England. It wasn't a lot of fun being an Indian and I got, you know, bullied and my parents, we got all kinds of racial abuse and physical and verbal and you name it, but it, you know, it builds resilience. 
you know, obviously I've been living in New York for 20 years and I'm very close to the UK. I spend a lot of time there. I've got sisters there and do work there, etc. Obviously, when you think about the UK, maybe the Indian community obviously done really well. I mean, look at who runs the country, but there's so many other immigrants or other people that have come from different social backgrounds in the UK. They don't have to be foreign who have kind of not, you know, are going to experience different barriers. So my advice to people is understand that, understand where maybe you don't have as much experience of maybe global issues or you haven't got as much experience of, you know, people going to universities or working professional areas and just try and surround yourself with ways to build that knowledge, whether it's through talking to people, through asking to be actively mentored, through what podcasts you listen to, what programs you, you tap into, what you read. And there's really a way to kind of build broader knowledge than maybe what you got from your home life or from your school. But it does start with really understanding yourself. In relation to that, one of the questions sent to us by one of our career starter listeners has been about how you set yourself apart from others during your career in order to drive your own success and achieve what you wanted to. How did you differentiate yourself and rise above the competition? I love this point on um, how to differentiate yourself because the advice I try and give teams that I manage is you're not competing with each other the tide will lift all boats. But if I go back to my early self, the way I tried to differentiate myself was just working hard, being a voracious learner, working long hours, learning every single thing around the topic. If we were asked to kind of put together financial reconciliations when I worked in accounting, I would try and understand the business model, the strategy, what they were doing with that, et cetera, and try and kind of overachieve. And so I just kind of worked, worked really hard. Then I realized in my kind of mid twenties, when I got my first consulting job and, and spent some time in the US that everyone has superpowers. I realized one of my superpowers, maybe this is growing up in large families, et cetera, was connecting the dots. As people were talking about the financial side of a decision, someone was talking about the customer technology side, someone was talking about the consumer side. I had the ability to connect all of those dots and sound really smart. I understood finance and process and technology and come up with a holistic solution. And I realized that not everyone could connect those dots as quickly as I could. And so if you couple that with my more confidence around public speaking at the time, I was able to kind of articulate things, even taking other people's ideas and kind of make them sound better. So the point I'm trying to make is build some core skills, but everybody does have superpowers. It could be the way you communicate. It could be how you show up and you're really relatable and authentic and everybody likes you. It could be that you've got some lived experience. You've grown up, a, you know, you've come as a refugee. You've got a different lived experience of a different part of the world or a different way of growing up that no one else in that room has. And that's your superpower. It could be something, you know, sporty. So really understand and that's really how you can differentiate. But, you know, there's a big business community out there. We have labor shortages all over the world. We have skills constraints all over the world. Anyone who works hard is focused on learning tries to be kind and compassionate, there's going to be ample opportunities, I hope, and I believe in the business world. We don't have demographics on our side. It's not like we have population explosion around the world. We actually have population decline scarily. And so it's not a case of, is there enough jobs and can I differentiate myself? It's how do we kind of unleash and nurture the creativity out of people so that we can actually get everyone to you know, maximize the potential you know, at a certain point in their life. So, so you clearly sheer hard work 
acquisition of knowledge, identification and acquisition of gaps in terms of skills. These have all played an important factor, but it can't all have been smooth. So are there moments that you look back on and maybe put your head in your hands a little bit, embarrassments, the pieces you think, I wish I hadn't done that? Yes. Leading teams, kind of when I first started in one of my um, consultant leadership roles, I um, came from another firm and I didn't take the time to really understand how this firm worked and probably pushed people harder in terms of performance and expectations and just didn't take the time to really understand kind of what else was going on or why I wanted to do it a certain way, why I wanted to overanalyze a problem or, you know, overtell a story. And so that's not a sustainable model getting people to work ridiculous hours and, you know, every problem can't be urgent and important. So really kind of getting some of that balance. I've learned a lot about, you know, very, it's very detailed point, but how to present data and, and, you know, better ways to tell stories, both in writing in PowerPoint and kind of, you know, verbally. There are many times like in my career where maybe a case now where I was very long winded, but there's a very important way to tell a memorable story. There's a few times, there was one time in a consulting project where the client is like, the only time it's ever happened to me, like the client actually said, we would like to roll you off the project uh, because it's just the chemistry is just not there. It's not jiving. We want someone else to come and lead this project. The next morning, it felt like I'd been fired. It was just literally like it's a chemistry thing and everything was fine afterwards. And I did that work at kind of similar clients. But at the time it was, oh my God, you know, Am I not a good project manager? What was wrong? Can I ever be a good consultant? What does this mean for my career? So there are many times, and I'm sure there'll be many times again, where you have quote unquote, you know, some form of failure. We've got to embrace that. We've got to be resilient. We've got to learn from it. We've got to not over-personalize this. This is all kind of self-therapy I give myself whenever there's, there's any kind of minor setback, but playing the victim, taking it very personally. You can do that for a small period of time, but you've got to literally pick yourself up, dust yourself down, go surround yourself with people who will say good things about you and then kind of get back on the horse and, and learn from it. I think that's very important. Hiccups or problems or mistakes can in the moment feel almost career ending as they feel so defining and so hard, but back on them and think that was nothing really. And I just moved on from it. I know that. Where I work, we have a sort of unwritten, unspoken 24-hour rule that if you're pitching for something, you're trying to win a piece of work or try and deliver a project, something goes wrong or you lose it, you have 24 hours to say, that's awful. And then you move on because uh, you, you've still got a whole journey still ahead of you. Sometimes these failures can also be non-work related because there's stuff going on in your personal life, whether it's relationship whether it's spam parents, et cetera, whether it's tragedy in your life and they can manifest and really, really impact your work. So, so sometimes it's not a work related thing. It could be other things that really impacts kind of how you feel at work. 15 years ago, uh, both my parents passed away in the, in the last few years and I've had to like learn a lot of lessons in terms of resilience and dealing with stuff. And the first, you know, I'm in a much better place now, but the first couple of years, you know, especially after my father died 15 years ago. I was in a terrible state, you know, wasn't very good at work, wasn't very good at home, et cetera. And so, so it's really important for you to know yourself and anticipate, not that you can ever anticipate the loss of a parent, but just to understand that there's going to be times when you're going to react and you've got to like, you know, and sometimes we'll react badly and we won't understand. But again, 
the same rules apply that you've got to, you could be sad and depressed for a small period of time and be angry, but like you then got to kind of pick yourself up, be good to yourself, surround yourself with people who love and care for you and kind of figure out like, you know, what your future path is. You mentioned there about surrounding yourself with the right sort of people. And earlier on, you mentioned mentors as well. Which people have really made a difference to you along your career journey? And what is it that you think now they did that really helped? I worked at a company called Boots in Nottingham, which obviously a lot of people will, will know. They've obviously transformed, named, etc. They're a different kind of business then. But my first ever boss, my first ever job, 21 years old, basically said to me, there's three things I want you to always remember. He said, always remember that it's okay to ask questions and challenge everything. Always remember kind of who your customers are. So when someone says, I want to produce a report, always I'll say, who's the end customer for the report? What are they actually going to do with it? And then the other thing is like, be bold. And I've tried to take all of those into my professional life and I try and encourage my teams to do that. And some people may be thinking that I ask too many questions and some people may, may think that I'm too provocative, but, and so sometimes these things can get you into, into a little bit of trouble, but I actually think that as a business leader, we're craving for more younger people to actually ask questions, be curious, challenge respectfully everything. And also things like, you know, the old notions of, you know, just do it. No, do ask like, who's the end consumer of this and what value do they derive? So those have been great lessons and, and he really empowered me to be courageous as some 21 year old kid who knew nothing about business. So from North London to Boots via other roles to New York, you've obviously had to make a number of personal career decisions on the way, decisions that might've taken you one way or another. How did you evaluate how to make the right decision, whether that's a new job or a different type of role within a company you're in? How did you approach that? I go back to Am I going to be able to learn? Am I going to be able to be happy in those roles? Am I going to be surrounded by people that I want to build working relationships and personal relationships with? And so it's always gravitated to larger consulting firms. There was a time before joining PwC that had an offer to start a small consulting part of a PR firm. It's a great PR firm. We're still friends, et cetera, but it just wasn't for me at the time. You know, many people who kind of, who are in my business have done some form of a startup at some time. I guess I'm a big company fan at the end of the day and kind of enjoy that. So I've never done a startup. I've consulted to startups. So, but I make the decision about, am I going to be around people that I like and I respect and I can learn from? Is it going to be a learning environment? And is it going to be somewhere where, where I can professionally develop? Obviously you need to be rewarded. You need to be recognized, et cetera. Those things are literally table stakes. But that's some of the ways that, you know, I've made those decisions. And what about some of the darker forces of, of self-doubt, imposter syndrome? Do you find those coming into your life when you're making those decisions or when you're at work? Every day, you know, every day I walk into rooms, whether they're in New York or around the world and with senior executives. And I'm like, you know, really, I, I really belong here. I'm just, you know, I'm just an Indian immigrant from North London. And so, but I think that's really important. You know, and I have young children now and I, and I don't use the term imposter syndrome, but I think it's really important that we need to be humble and we need to be hungry and we need to be curious and we need to kind of have any sense of entitlement. So yes, we need to earn the right to be in those rooms. We need to have some self-doubt and we need to go back and be a voracious, curious learner because there's so much that we need to learn. So 
yes, there's obviously dark sides of things like, you know, imposter syndrome, but for many of us, and for me personally, it, it's part of my drive. And so there are, you know, darker sides there. But again, I, I advise people to say, kind of everyone here is unique. You know, you're unique because you have the spirit of youth. You've grown up with digital technology. The world is so much more connected than it was when we were growing up. I mean, in terms of think about global supply chains, think about trade flows. Yes, there's some world leaders that are trying to make the world more disconnected, but by and large, you know, you know everything that we get and consume kind of, you know, doesn't all get, you know, made and produced in, in one place. So there is an advantage of having the spirit of youth and having all this new technology around you. And the technology is just going to, you know, get faster, better. So we all need to kind of learn it and, and apply it. So there is a sense of confidence that we should feel growing up in this age. And if you marry that with the good skills of being a good citizen, being compassionate, you know, caring about any externalities of things like the technology, like you see cyberbullying or self-harm, et cetera. So if we're really kind of mindful about some of the controls and some of the challenges around things that we have like technology, I think, again, I think young people, whether you're entering business or, and if, you know, finishing school are well positioned to kind of help us, you know, in the business community, kind of think about, you know, new products, new services, new ways to use technology and data. And in your work, uh, but also in, in things you do outside of work in terms of thought leadership and opinion forming, you look at the future of work. In other words, what it's going to be like for those who are entering the workforce now, whatever role, what are the changes that they're really going to be seeing over the next four to five years? The pace of change is going to continue to accelerate, whether we like it or not, whether that's because of technology and the disruption that that creates, whether it's because we're in, in line for some economic corrections around the world, you know, that's going to manifest itself in terms of certain businesses won't be viable. You know, there's going to be layoffs in certain businesses and there's going to be growth in others. This whole piece around how do we truly decarbonize and the implications that have on business, data, technology, work practices is a big change. The role of governments, we can't get away from it, even though I obviously do believe in globalization, I'm a global citizen, governments are going to kind of come up with policies, whether it's to focus on country first and, you know, economic, you know, employment for their organizations, maybe less immigration. So we're going to have to, like anyone who's entering the work needs to literally be a student of all of those topics, understand the role of government and geopolitics, understand the role of technology, decarbonization, how businesses need to evolve, how businesses need to reinvent themselves. And sometimes that means people need to transition out of roles, but as long as we give them on ramps and upskilling into other roles, either within a company or a community, you know, that's part of corporate life as well. Not every company that I grew up with, you know, is in business today and that'll be the same, you know, going forward. So it is a chance to be hopeful. You know, there's a set of core skills that we talked about at the start in terms of curiosity, learning, humility, understanding the human skills, understanding your special powers, and then whatever technical skills that you're going to bring to the table. And I think they put you in a really good shape to, you know, for whatever the future of work, you know, truly looks like. And encapsulating that, you mentioned earlier about three pieces of advice your first boss at Boots had given to you. If you had the chance now, what three pieces of advice would you give to 17, 18 year old Bushan to help smooth his journey to where you are now? 
be kind and compassionate all the time because relationships matter. I wasn't saying that I wasn't kind and compassionate, but there's times I could have been a better boss and a better colleague. I think that's super important because it's the relationships that get you through, whether they're virtual or physical. I obviously believe that, you know, you need to be in person for some of that to actually really build trust, but those relationships matter. And there's people that I'm still in touch with. I worked with 25 years ago and we pick up the phone or, or the text and it literally is like yesterday. And that will be helpful both in personal and business lives. So it's kind of, you know, the kindness and compassion. I do think physical fitness is really important. You know, I'm 50 years old now. I feel healthier, happier, fitter than I ever have. Since my parents died, I started running marathons. I've run 11 marathons. I've run pretty much every day. It's my way of dealing with stuff. So my point there is find something that's physical. Like could be yoga, could be walking, could be spiritual, but you do every day. Because I think that's really, really important. And there were times when I didn't do that and times when I would kind of just binge exercise and just think that if you work out a couple of times on a weekend, it's okay, but no, you need something constant. I mean, I think that's really, really important as well. So, so that'd be, you know, a couple of things around the kindness and the relationships and also the, the investments in wellbeing. And who would you have play you in the movie of your career journey? It could be a young Shahrukh Khan, if people understand, uh, cause he's, you know, Indian person. I know maybe one of my daughters could play me because, you know, they've lived this, they know this very well. Great. And one of the things we want to do is we want to keep passing the baton of career experience along. So if there's one other person who you think should come on this show, whose own career unwrapped experience could help others with their career, who do you think that would be? I will have to ask her permission because she's a dear friend and she lives in the UK. I had the opportunity to meet Lady Mariam Jam, who runs a non-for-profit called I'm the Code, and their, their objective is to train 1 billion females by, by 2030 on how to code. And it's typically, you know, people who are kind of from marginalized communities, refugees, et cetera. Um, so she runs a foundation, et cetera. We met at the World Economic Forum. We've sat on some councils together. We've written some papers. We've become friends. I've been on her podcast. But she's doing amazing work and she has a really interesting, with a lot of trauma background in terms of, you know, she was a refugee herself. She's self-educated. She now sees the importance of teaching females how to code and is running a foundation there and, and working with a lot of businesses to kind of fund that charity. She travels around a lot, but she does live in London. So, and she has a son who's like in the school system. So I would probably have to ask her permission, but Lady Mariam Jam is like someone and I'm the code is the podcast and the foundation that she runs. Brilliant. Well, I mean, that sounds like a bucket of experience we would really like to dip into. So Bishant, thank you so much for joining us to unwrap your own career journey. It's been great, really interesting and thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and good luck to everyone. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by We Are Futures. To find out more about We Are Futures and how we can introduce your brand, business or organisation to the mass markets of tomorrow, visit www.wearefutures.com. Make sure to search for Careers Unwrapped in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Remember to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at We Are Futures, thanks for listening.